Hi, I'm Robin Black and this is Robin Thinks and today I'm going to be wrapping up um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Okay, so I want to call purity culture what it actually is, which is virginity culture. And one of the things that I talked about in an earlier episode was how virginity is incredibly important to men, but I do not believe that virginity is anywhere near as important to God as it is to men. If you look at the entirety of the Bible from start to finish, God has never been as judgmental towards women as men are. God is perfectly aware that women live in a culture that is dominated and ruled by men. So throughout history, you have these men that take multiple wives. You have men that marry 13-year-old girls. Throughout history, women have had very little, if any, agency. And this is what is so important, is this idea and this concept of agency. And this is what we don't see throughout this book. So the problem with what they call purity culture, which is really virginity culture, the problem with virginity culture is that no matter what choices you make or don't make, you will pay the consequences for them. So when these men tell you, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, there's going to be consequences for that. Whether you listen to them, whether you don't listen to them, either way, there's going to be consequences. And they are not going to be paying the consequences. You will be paying the consequences. The reason that parents have so much authority in a child's life is because parents actually pay a great deal of the consequences for the choices that their children make. That's what gives them authority in the first place. Too often in churches and in religious culture, we are taught to give people authority that are not actually taking responsibility. And in a lot of cases, we're taught to give them authority for things that they can't take responsibility for, okay? So for instance, what's happening now is that there's this, there's a Christian author, her name is Sheila Gregoire, and I've listened to, um, I've, I think I've actually only listened to one podcast of her. She was on the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to that um, episode because this woman is just on fire. She has so much to say about sexuality and she's really kind of opening the doors to 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 talking about sex in a Christian culture and what's important about this is that I think too often when we talk about sex and and as this um these walls start coming down and we're able to actually have these conversations about female sexuality what's happening is I think that we tend to approach sex or talk about sex the way men have always talked about sex which is in these very guttural terms. And so I feel like sex is something sacred. There's a sacredness to it, but there's also an earthiness to it. And so what tends to happen is that we we go one way or the other. We put it on such a high pedestal. We make it so holy, so noble, so righteous that we can't talk about it. We can't touch it in a sense. There's way too many couples that live in this um, ideal where sex is for procreation only. That is the only reason that you have sex and you only engage in it to such a degree as for conception. That's it. 
there it's not a kissing and touching and holding and there's there's no there's no talk of different sexual positions or heaven forbid pleasure we can't talk about that um or you go to this opposite extreme where everything is just it's vulgar we talk about it in very these very vulgar terms so what I want to know is, can is there a middle ground? Is there a place where we can talk about sex, where we can honor sex, and yet still be honest about it? And I think this is really where Sheila Gregoire is kind of this pioneer, where she is finding that middle ground to where we can talk about it, but we don't have to gutteralize it. Um, to me, one of the, the big reasons that I think that deconstruction is so important, um, what I consider deconstruction to be is literally deprogramming. I think so many of us have been programmed into these ideas and ideals. And what's interesting about I Kiss Dating Goodbye is Joshua Harris was raised, he was homeschooled. He is as deeply steeped in evangelicalism as it is possible to be. So here he is, he's writing this book about dating and relationships, and yet he has never had any experience outside of evangelicalism. Most kids go to public schools where you get exposed to a completely, totally different um, worldview. And that's actually really important. This is where critical thinking comes from, is this idea of you take these two competing worldviews and you sort of find like the middle ground between them. And this is exactly why deconstruction is so threatening to fundamentalist evangelicalism. Because fundamentalist evangelicalism is literally a form of indoctrination. You are indoctrinated into certain ideas theories and beliefs and you are not allowed to question them this is why it is so important to take some time to step away to step out of whatever realm or culture you were indoctrinated into in order to be able to start to pick apart your beliefs and it's also very scary for a lot of people because your entire house, this entire house that you've built is coming crashing down because it was built on sand and you have to start from scratch. You have to build an entirely new house on a rock. You have to build it on something that is that on a firm foundation. The reality is that what the Bible tells us is that whenever we sort of like come into contact with Jesus in some way, whether it's you know, some denominations call it accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or we call it getting saved. Once that happens, we all have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it is the Holy Spirit's job to guide us. And the reason that is so important is because every single one of us is going to have a slightly different path to take. But also keep in mind that what's interesting about I Kiss Dating Goodbye is that it's written by, it's a relationship book that is written by an 18-year-old who in his life had maybe had a few high school relationships. And then when you look at just how vast and widespread this book became, the problem isn't really with Joshua Harris. Like everyone's so mad at Joshua Harris for, for writing this book. He's just an 18-year-old kid that is like, hey, this is kind of how I think. This is kind of how I feel. These are my thoughts on this. And then a gr bunch of grown men jumped on it, like pounced on it, 
and then began disseminating it everywhere. And I am about 99% convinced that probably 99% of the people that are disseminating these ideas probably never even read it. They just jumped on this idea of, oh, no dating before marriage. Okay, that sounds good. Yes, we, we, don't, we don't need to waste our time dating girls. I mean, it's, and I think this is particularly a, an attractive idea to men because, you know, they're very busy and they're very important. They're building their ministries. Like they have important things to do. They don't need to date girls. This is great. This is awesome. I can go out, I can go to seminary, I can start building my church. And then when I have a church and it's successful and everything is good, then I can go, you know, find a wife. I don't need to waste my time dating. All I have to do is just go out and find a wife. This is nothing new. This is, it's a very, very, very subtle take on the idea of, I establish myself, I make my fortune, and then I buy myself a wife. We're not quite buying a wife per se, but realistically the intellect or the the thought behind it is essentially exactly the same. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And when you deconstruct, this is why deconstruction is so important. When you deconstruct these ideas, you go, oh, wow. Men are literally doing the exact same thing they've been doing for thousands of years now, which is that they don't think actually building a relationship with a woman is important. They don't, it's, everything is just, I build my fortune, I build my company, I build my business, I build my church, I build my thing, and then when I'm ready, I just go sort of slot a wife into it. And then I have sex with her so that she gets pregnant, so that she has kids, and then she raises my children for me while I continue going on about doing my very big important ministry. Okay, these threads run all throughout evangelicalism, but they are nothing new. Okay, so just real quick, I want to do a brief recap about the four couples that we've talked about um, in this podcast, uh, or the four couples that Joshua Harris talks about and I kiss dating goodbye. So the first one is, um, Josh and Kelly. Remember, uh, uh, Kelly was Josh's very first girlfriend. He was 15 at the time. Um, and then there was Jeff and Gloria and Joshua Harris was, um, very appalled that Jeff and Gloria had, uh, gotten a hotel room and had sex. And then there was Eric and Leslie Luddy. And we talked about how, um, they didn't have sex before they got married. Eric was very proud of this fact. Uh, Eric and Leslie now run uh, something called Ellerslie Ministries in Colorado Springs. And, um, you know, they, they didn't even kiss before they got married. And then we had Matt and Julie. And uh, we have no idea what Matt and Julie's um, sexual relationship was prior to marriage because Matt literally did not talk about it. And so... I want to talk about these four couples and I want to sort of compare and contrast what, how, you know, the light that Joshua Harris presented these in versus, you know, kind of what I view to sort of be like a biblical model. Who did it right? Who did it wrong? Uh, Where did we go wrong? What mistakes? What can we learn from these four couples? Okay. So first we have Josh and Kelly. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, Kelly was Josh's first girlfriend. So it's not like, you know, we really want to hold this up as, as being uh, like we have high expectations of this relationship. But we also want to look at it and talk about what can we learn from this. OK, so Josh talks about how Kelly had literally just become a Christian. OK, so at this point in time in Kelly's life or development, 
if we are really looking at what is best for Kelly, then most likely we would leave her alone to actually focus on developing her relationship with God. Okay, she's a brand new Christian. But Josh swoops in. And remember, Kelly was beautiful. And Josh was so forgiving about the fact that Kelly was two inches taller than him. Right? So Josh swoops in and boyfriends Kelly. Right? And then what happens? Then every night after Josh's parents go to bed, they spend hours and hours and hours talking on the phone. Right? Kelly is getting to know Josh intimately remember into me you see this is intimacy right and Josh is sharing his heart he's sharing himself with Kelly in a way he probably hasn't shared with very many other people right and Kelly is listening she is she is um providing this space for Josh to be open and honest about who and what he really is and she is accepting of this okay this is a really important healthy relational dynamic at least it's healthy for Josh right Kelly is a new Christian Kelly should maybe be focused on focusing on building her relationship with God but instead she's focusing on Josh and she's providing this really great sounding board for Josh to talk about himself and that's not to say that Kelly didn't also share about herself it's not to say that they aren't building sort of a, a mutual relationship it's questionable whether this was equally healthy for both Josh and Kelly okay but then what happens Josh decides oh I'm 15 years old there's so many other things that I should be doing with my life I'm very busy and important at 15 years old and this relationship with Kelly which is clearly very sort of life-giving and nourishing oh it's taking up too much of my time so what does Josh decide Josh unilaterally decides oh we have to break up and then what does he say about it he says but we both knew it was coming, right? He didn't talk to Kelly about, hey, I think this relationship is taking up a little bit too much time. He didn't try to negotiate um, something that would, you know, maybe free up more time for both of them. None of that. He just unilaterally decides we have to break up. He informs her that they have to break up, but then he goes so far as to pre- pretend or to try and imply that it was somehow mutual, like they they mutually came to this decision that this was healthy and right. None of that happened, okay? These are very important dynamics to pay attention to because they happen all the time in patriarchal relationships. What you, Those dynamics that we can identify those are very clear patriarchal dyna- um, dynamics, which is the man has all of the authority. The man makes all the decisions. And in one sense, that's not so much problematic. But what is problematic is when he tries to imply somehow that it was mutual, when it was in no way mutual. Okay, Um, we saw a lot of these very similar dynamics. If anyone uh, is paying attention to sort of like the Matt Chandler controversy or, you know, Matt Chandler gets on stage and he he talks about how he had inappropriate communications with a woman. Right. So he he is clearly in the wrong because he's the pastor. He's the person that's in authority. And yet he implies by implication, he's saying I had an inappropriate 
relationship. And the very fact that he calls it a relationship implies mutual accountability. It implies somehow that she is equally responsible for whatever is wrong with the communications that he had with her. He goes on to say that he engaged in coarse and foolish joking. Okay, he's a pastor. She's clearly not a pa- Well, I don't know if she's clearly, we don't know who it is and I don't care to know who it is. Um, but, but one would assume, one would infer that she is not a pastor, that she is not his equal, that there was a, a relational dynamic abuse in play here because he is a pastor. He is called to a higher standard. She is not. But the very fact that he he even said that number one is with a woman and number two that there was that that it's a relational problem implies that they are equally responsible and based on sort of the outcome of like what's been happening in the internet it seems that everyone that heard this is perfectly happy to lay equal blame at her feet this is one of the biggest problems with patriarchy and what we call quote unquote complementarianism was just another way of of talking about patriarchy okay you want all the power you want all the authority but then you don't want to take full responsibility when you do something wrong suddenly it's oh it's that woman okay this is a problem so that let's moving on let's talk about um jeff and gloria right uh jeff and gloria went off and they had sex in a hotel room which joshua harris was absolutely appalled by um but one of the things that jeff said was that Gloria had actually lied to her parents. And while I'm not going to condone lying to her parents, what that does imply is that Gloria had agency, that Gloria was a mutual participant in this decision. This wasn't a matter of Jeff simply pressuring her into having sex. And what was the other really important element? Uh, Jeff actually got a hotel room. So they went to a hotel room. So all of these clues that were given would lead to or would point to Gloria was a mutual participant, which means Gloria had agency. And I'm not necessarily condoning going to a hotel room and having sex. That's not the point. What I'm trying to point to here is that Gloria was an equal participant because remember every action that we take or don't take is going to have consequences right this is why it's so important that Gloria has agency that Gloria makes her own choices for herself because those choices are going to have consequences whether she does or whether she doesn't Either way, her decisions and her choices are going to have consequences, which is why it is so important that Gloria is making those decisions for herself. Okay? Um, Then we move on to Eric and Leslie Liddy. So Eric and Leslie waited until they were married to have sex, and we know this because, much like Jeff, Eric brags about this fact. Okay, so Jeff comes to his good buddy Josh and brags about having sex with Gloria. And Eric brags to Josh about how he and Leslie didn't have sex. Okay, here's a crazy thought. Here's a crazy idea. While I do think that it's important that we talk about sex in general, crazy thought, maybe we don't 
actually need to talk to our buddies about our individual sexual experiences with specific people, okay? Maybe our sexuality or our sexual lives are not meant to be for general public consumption. Just a crazy thought. Once again, kind of based on like where Eric and Leslie are today, I would personally assume that that is a decision that Eric unilaterally made and that he didn't really give Leslie a choice. Just what I know of evangelicalism, what I see of Eric and Leslie's ministry today, um, my instinct would tell me that this is a decision that Eric unilaterally made for Leslie, that Eric decided we are not going to even so much as kiss until we get married. And I don't really think that Leslie had a whole lot of say in that. I do not, there's no part of me that believes that this was a mutually agreed upon decision. I think that Eric made this decision for both of them, which is very common in patriarchy. Okay. Then moving along to Matt Canlis. So let's talk about Matt Canlis. Matt Canlis meets this girl or this girl kind of uh, catches his attention named Julie. And what does Matt do? Matt pays attention to like his inner voice or what I would call the Holy Spirit, right? Which tells him, hands off, buddy. I have some work that I'm doing in her, right? So he doesn't do what Josh does. He doesn't go and make himself the center of Julie's attention. He backs off. He gives Julie a chance to grow and develop. He gives God a chance to do whatever God is doing in Julie's life. Okay. And then when he kind of gets the all clear and the go ahead, uh, he does go and in some way, he, you know, he begins to, we don't know, date her, court her, whatever you want to call it. We don't know. And you know why we don't know? Because he doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us any indication of what his physical relationship with Julie was prior to getting married. And I think that is really really important and once again if we go and we look at kind of where Matt Canlis is today like what what has happened to him in the last 15 years I personally would say that Matt and Julie's relationship was by far the healthiest and the one that kind of if we could if we could kind of make any kind of blueprint for relationship that would be it right there Matt did not unilaterally decide for himself and Julie what was going to happen. Matt listened to what I would call the Holy Spirit, his inner voice, his inner wisdom that told him, don't make yourself the center of Julie's life right now. Don't make, her, don't make yourself the center of her attention because I need to do some work right now. And this is what is missing in so many quote-unquote Christian relationships is female agency, our right to make decisions for ourselves about our own bodies. However you want to look at that, however you want to see that, the bottom line is that what is missing, and, and historically, culturally, what is missing is a woman's own agency to make decisions for herself. And what is really important is that you have to remember women are indwelled with the Holy Spirit exactly the same way men are. And the Holy Spirit is meant to be 
our guide. But we're not taught this idea that what we really should be listening to is that still small voice, that inner voice inside of us that will lead us, that will guide us every step of the way. Instead, we're taught, no, 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 you need to listen to your pastor. You need to listen to your husband. There's always a man's voice that we're taught that we need to listen to. Instead of listening to that voice inside of us that tells us exactly step by step what is right for us. I talked last week about my story and one of the things that I hope that I communicated There are so many things that I did, so many places that I was led in the process of what I would call reconnecting to my own sexuality or getting healthy. There are so many things that I would never advise someone else to do. I would never advocate for them to do that, but they were right for me. And this is why the Holy Spirit is so important is because your path is going to be very different than mine. Your journey is going to be very different than mine. But that's where faith comes in is because uh, one of the common threads that I've been hearing a lot about evangelicalism, which is so true, is people that leave evangelicalism, people that that begin this process of deconstruction, one of the big things that they miss is this confidence or this sureness like they have all the right answers to everything okay that is literally the opposite of faith faith is understanding I don't know anything I don't know if I'm doing the right thing I don't know if this is the right way to go I'm kind of feeling my way along and I'm just trusting that if and when I start to go awry or get out of bounds uh God's gonna put up a barrier or communicate in some way that this is not the right way to go. One of my absolutely favorite verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So King James says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Okay, so that's the King James. And a couple things to point out is it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Him is referring to God. Him is not referring to your pastor. Him is not referring to Joshua Harris. Him is not referring to any of the many, many, many male voices in your life that thinks that you should be listening to them. Him, in this instance, is referring to God. Okay? So, in all your ways, acknowledge God and he or she will direct your paths. Now, what I like is the NIV because what the NIV says is he will make your path straight in front of you. Or I think it just says he will make your path straight. And I love that because this to me is what faith is. Um, If anybody saw the movie The Birdcage, remember Sandra Bullock like walking around with a blindfold, okay? This to me is the perfect image of faith which is I'm walking around with this blindfold and I kind of have my hands in front of me and I'm just sort of feeling my way along. And this is what God is saying. God is saying, trust me, just walk, trust me. I will make the path straight in front of you. But remember, she's got this blindfold on and that's also what's really important is she is fully acknowledging that she cannot see the path in front of her. What happens too often in evangelicalism is it's just everything is bold and confident, bold and confident, okay? I don't think that's what faith is. I think faith is hesitant and it's 
timid. Like we walk, like we're moving forward. We keep going. You know, we got our hands out in front of us. And I, you know, that to me is like the perfect image of faith. We don't know. We're not, you know, perfectly confident that this is the right road or the right path or the whatever. But we also don't like run down the path. We feel our way carefully down the path and we trust that if we are going in the wrong direction or if there, there's something, you know, wrong with this, that God is going to like put up a barrier for us to kind of go around. But the Bible says God will make the path straight in front of you. So just walk and walk in faith, but don't run. Don't think you know where you're going and what the ultimate destination is or you know I I personally can attest to there are so many times when when I was younger I would say okay where am I supposed to go God you know what am I supposed to do God I would pray right and and God would set me on this path and I would decide oh I know where this is going and then I would I would be like okay I got this and then I would start running in the direction that I had determined was the ultimate outcome of this path never turned out to be that way and I've had a lot of really painful failings as a result of thinking I decided I knew what the ultimate outcome was going to be and I just went running full steam ahead. I have hit a lot of brick walls at full speed that way and it is really painful and so I have learned to adopt a Sandra Bullock posture, which is one of pretending that I have a blindfold on and I don't know where I'm going, which is actually kind of true. I don't know where I'm going. And that's why it's so important to to really kind of let God direct you at every step of the way, because you think you know where you're going. You think you know where the end of this path is, and it's not what you think it is. At, at least that's been my experience. You can learn from my experience. You can not learn from my experience. That's totally cool. But the bottom line is, we all, every single one of us, we have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so rather than listening to all of these men telling us, oh, you need to go here, you need to go there, you need to go here, you need to go there. It's, it's perfectly okay to listen to them. It's good to listen to them. It's good to gather information. But instead of just accepting one man or one person or one viewpoint as sort of the ultimate authority we can kind of gather all this information and then we need to decide in partnership with God and with the Holy Spirit okay um okay so where do I go from here and which way do I want to go and you know um what happens a lot in evangelical religion in general is instead of each of us individually listening to the Holy Spirit instead and even communally instead of coming together as a community and and seeking God's wisdom and seeking God's guidance what happens is men aren't listening to God they're listening to each other Um, a perfect example of this I've spent a lot of time talking about the Billy Graham rule largely because the Billy Graham rule just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And now we have sort of like the latest Matt Chandler scandal where now we'll have the Matt Chandler rule, which is we don't ever even, we don't even have digital private communications with a woman now because of Matt Chandler. Billy Graham and Matt Chandler are not who we are called to follow. Jesus had numerous relationships and encounters with women. The New Testament is chock 
full of stories and examples of Jesus directly interacting with women. So what ends up happening is you get all these men and they listen to other men and they just sort of adopt what these other men are doing. This is how we got the Billy Graham rule in the first place and this is how the Billy Graham rule gets so out of control. But again, it's nothing new under the sun. This is exactly how women were treated in the first century. Men did not talk to women in the first century. The Billy Graham rule is nothing new. It was the norm in the first century. And this was what is so audacious about Jesus is that at every single turn, he completely violated and defied. He overtly, publicly defied these concrete ingrained cultural norms of how men interacted with women, which is that they didn't. They did not interact with women. They did not talk to them. They did not look at them. They treated them as if they did not exist. This is exactly why every single time Jesus talked to a woman, there is this huge and massive response to it because it just wasn't done. If a man was forced to speak to a woman, it was like talking to a tree. That that was like the, the level of um, interaction. It was like talking to a tree or talking to a rock. You just sort of speak into the air and expect your words to be heard. You don't actually talk to a woman. And yet Jesus talked to women. And what ends up happening is that rather than men really going and doing a deep dive into scripture and look and using Jesus as the example of how are we to interact or treat each other or treat women or treat children in our relationships, men just keep looking to other men and men just keep recycling the teachings of other men. So one of the last I think literally the last church that I went to was a mega church here in Denver. Um, as I was going to this church and I was starting to get involved in this church, as you're encouraged to do, I decided to be a small group leader. And they make you take this class. And I, I feel like it was like a four hour class on a Sunday or maybe a two. It's a pretty long class. I don't remember if it was one week or two weeks or three weeks. But I remember we had this really big, thick manual and this manual was taken directly from the village church. And the reason that I know this is because I had some issues with what was in the manual. And I actually set up an appointment with the small groups pastor to talk about this. And he completely dismissed me. And the reason he dismissed me is because he told me, well, we took this from the village church. We got this from the village church. And the way in which he said it and the reason that he dismissed me is because he justified it by essentially saying that obviously it is clearly biblically and scripturally sound because it's from the village church. That was all they needed. It was 100% accepted to be biblically and scripturally sound because it's from the village church okay I've been like in churches and Christian ministry my entire life I would say that I have a good 
we'll say at least 35 years of solid experience with actually studying both the Bible and evangelical culture. In all of that time, I have literally only heard of two times of a church elder board taking the time, taking a a period of time, I think in, in both cases it was a period of weeks, like four to six weeks, and praying and studying and researching to decide for themselves whether or not certain evangelical teachings, practices, beliefs were indeed scriptural or doctrinally sound. Okay. One of those times was in either the 80s or the 90s. It was Willow Creek. And the question that they were asking, the question that they were seeking God's wisdom on is what should the role of women be in the church? Should women be allowed to preach and to speak and to teach and to lead equal to men? Or is it scripturally and biblically sound for men to have headship over women? And when this elder board took this time to actually seek God's wisdom and to pray about it and to search the scriptures for themselves, they wrote a very long position paper about how they decided that evangelicalism was wrong. And needless to say, it caused a huge scandal in evangelicalism. And this is exactly how churches are supposed to work. And yet, when elders search scripture and seek God and come to the conclusion that these accepted practices in evangelicalism are wrong, it causes this huge scandal in evangelicalism. The second instance of this exact same thing happening was here in Denver. There's a church called Denver Community Church. And I want to say about four or five years ago, it might have been a little bit longer, they got together and they kind of did this exact same thing. And their question was about the the queer community. Should we accept them and um, as, as sort of like as full members, full part with all the exact same um, rights, privileges, et cetera, et cetera, as all of our, you know, cis het members um and they the the elder board did the exact same thing they took i think it was like a once again like a six to eight week period where they searched scripture where they prayed where they you know individually communally um and they they came to the exact same conclusion that willow creek had which is that um they needed to be fully affirming what happens in a lot of churches and this happened with this you know the last big mega church that i went to is they play this little half and half game where they say, oh, uh, we're accepting. There's a huge difference between being accepting and being affirming. In my opinion, this is a complete and utter misuse of church authority, basically. In other words, I do not personally believe that churches have the right, literally, they do not have the right to decide whose lifestyle is and is not acceptable to God. That is God's job. Our job as a community is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, strength, soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. We are called to love 
our neighbor. We are not called to judge our neighbor. Um, What's also very interesting to me is that um, the New Testament makes it very clear that there are certain character qualities that are important in an overseer or a leader. Okay, and what's just ridiculous to me is how many churches believe that it is their right or their responsibility to make sure that all the gay people, all the queer people know that they are not acceptable to God. Meanwhile, we have pastors, numerous pastors in these positions of authority that have horrible character. We don't even bother to look at what is your character. And the principles of the Bible are applicable to everyone. It doesn't matter what your quote unquote lifestyle is. What did Jesus say? You will know them by their fruit. What is their fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Um, this is what we are supposed to be judging people on. Not what body parts are you using to have sex with. Sex doesn't ever even enter into the equation. We put so much emphasis in the American church on sex. Everything is sex, 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 sex. When there's very, 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 very little focus on sex and sexuality in the Bible. The Bible, funnily enough, focuses on character. So what I just find completely mind-boggling is that in 35 plus years of being like deeply invested in evangelical culture, I have literally only ever heard of two churches actually taking the time to pray and search scripture for themselves to seek God's guidance on these really big questions, such as uh, what is the role of women and um, what is the role of the queer community in the church? Do we let them lead? Do we not let them lead? Like what roles do we allow them to have? I believe Denver Community Church did it right. They got their elder board together and they actually sought God's wisdom. What Red Rocks Church did, which is the big mega church here in Denver that I was talking about, they just looked at the village church. They said, well, what does the village church believe? Okay, well, then that's what we're going to teach. That's what we're going to preach. That's what we're going to believe because that's what the village church believes. You get all these men with their Billy Graham rule. Okay, we shouldn't have a Billy Graham rule because Billy Graham is not meant to be our example. The, the example of who and what we're supposed to be, the example of how we are supposed to live our lives is Jesus. Not Matt Chandler, not Billy Graham, not Mark Driscoll, not John MacArthur, not John Piper, not, none of these men. We are called to be followers of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up here today. And next week I will be starting on love and respect. I want to talk about the principles of relationship and the principles of relationship are the principles of relationship. They're the same for all of our relationships. So that means that theoretically we should be able to read a dating book which is basically just a relationship book and be able to take things away um about our relationships like how should we or do we properly engage in healthy relationships same thing with a, a marriage book i'm also going to be um tackling a parenting book i'm going to be honest i'm really not looking forward to this because i don't want to read these books i find them to be highly traumatic i find these the things that evangelical culture is teaching about 
sort of like the proper ways to raise children is I just find it horrifying so I'm really not looking forward to reading these books but I'm going to and we're gonna um we're gonna talk about them we're gonna talk about how do they actually line up to scripture we're gonna do what Willow Creek did and what Denver Community Church did which is we're not gonna compare them to what do other men say we're gonna compare them to what does the Bible actually say which is in my opinion what we're supposed to be doing so I hope that you'll join me um Anything that you can do, if this podcast has been helpful to you at all, please, 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 please um, like, share, go to iTunes. Um, If you can subscribe on iTunes, that helps so much. If you can leave a comment, if you can leave a star rating, um, anything that you can do to help me sort of promote this and get this out there. There are just so many people that are so deeply damaged by virginity culture, by evangelical culture. They're there's just so much bad theology and bad doctrine running around and I really want to like tackle it and talk about how does this actually line up to the Bible I know there's so many people that are so damaged and I just I have such a heart for helping people heal because I went through all of this myself Um, but I can't do that if I kind of don't get the word out there so um, I'm working on a Twitter account and I'm also working on an Instagram account um if there's people that actually want to talk about these in the meantime if you go to anchor fm if you want to leave me a voice message if you want to if you have questions if there's topics that you want me to cover if you have comments if you hate the podcast feel free honestly I don't care feel free to uh you know leave that comment that's great but if you go to Anchor FM and if you want to call and leave me a voice message, um, I might be, do a Q&A sometime. I don't know. Just any feedback that you want to leave, please feel free to do that. Again, like, comment, share, anything you can do to help me promote this po- podcast. I would really deeply appreciate it because I just I just want to try and help bring some healing in all of the great damage that's been done by so many elements and aspects of evangelical culture. Okay, so next week we'll start on love and respect and I will see you then.